you just have to follow the path that other people had laid out. And it's not that I'm overly intelligent. I just did what I was told. If somebody else has got a blueprint laid out, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Follow the success that other people have blazed that trail before you. Take action. Listen, too many of us spend most of our waking hours working hard for our money and have little time left to figure out how to make our money work hard for us. We default to handing our savings off to advisors who make their livings off our assets while we wait until 65 to enjoy any of the benefits. The problem is we need a quick way to gain the knowledge to take back the reins on managing our money while avoiding the misleading media or just straight bad advice. My goal is to give you all my knowledge, full-time research, and connections in a distilled version so we all can make our money work harder for us. This show focuses on ways you can take back control and intelligently invest outside the stock market to benefit your life today as well as into retirement. I'm Brian O'Neill, and welcome to the Harder Working Money Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Harder Working Money Podcast. So before we get started, I just wanna remind everyone that the way podcasts work, and whether you know me or not, they need reviews. So we need reviews and views, and that's how we get awesome guests like the next one that's coming on to come on, because it's when they wanna sign up or I try to reach out to them to look and see how many reviews we have. So please, pause it for a second, jump on there, do a review. Apple Podcasts is the most important review, so if you're on there, please drop one, and I appreciate it so we can keep the show rolling and great guests on, like our next one. So our next guest is Perry Keenan. He's on Instagram as the Flippin' Mayor, and I wanted to bring him on because he brings a different perspective. He's a more hands-on, single-family home person that is building his wealth and his cash flow hands-on with single-family. I know we've had a lot of syndicators on that, you know, they have thousands of units and maybe seem far out there as far as re relatable. So Perry has a really good story about how he started in real estate and has now grown it. So Perry, welcome on. Dude, man, Brian, so excited to be here, man. So excited to be here. Yeah, dude, it's awesome to have you on. So before we get started, we got to talk about the flipping mayor thing. How do you become nice. a mayor? So you lose a bet, uh, first <laughs> and foremost. So no, I um, I started in 2004 as uh, city council and uh, 2005 as vice mayor. Then uh, that, that was a four-year term and uh, was heavily invested in real estate uh, during that time. And it's kind of working through like house flipping and that type of thing. And when the market crashed in 07, 08, uh, I decided, man, I needed to, to pull out of, of politics and just focus on God, family, and work. Uh, and uh, at that point, uh, the market had crashed. We were stuck holding five mortgages. And uh, man, I, I couldn't have gotten Bill Gates or Warren Buffett approved to, to buy a house at that point, man. It, the, the time was terrible for real estate investors. But four years later, 2012, kind of got that itch again and had a couple of different people reach out to me and asked if I had considered running for mayor and uh, said, you know, uh, we'll give it a shot. And if that's where God wants us, then that's where I'll be and uh, got elected and honestly kind of felt a little bit like the dog that was chasing the car. And then after he got to the stop sign, he was like, I don't know what to do now that I've caught the car. It was a little bit like that. After you got elected mayor, it was like, okay, so now what do we do? But uh, yeah. Man spent uh, eight years as that. Uh, got reelected in 2016, and at the height of the pandemic, it was it was time to step out and and uh, kind of re refocus some things. Awesome, awesome. So you got into real estate. Was that 
just a side gig while you're yeah. being mayor and you, you had a, a W-2 job as well. So what kind well, of drove a, you in that direction and in that direction where are you trying to go with it now? Job. Be, being mayor paid a, a whopping $1,000 a month and people used to to laugh because uh, they'd say, holy cow, there's no way I would do that for $1,000 a month. So it, it was something that you truly did because you loved your community and and you loved, you know, serving the people that that you, you know, were there in your, in your city. And so as part of that, obviously had to have another source of income and that was primarily real estate but we post crash of 0708 we had those five mortgages one of which was our personal home uh, we ended up just basically doing a fire sale on two of them just to get out from underneath them and the other two I felt like I couldn't give away so uh, we did the natural thing and you know stuck a renter in there and after uh, several years of you know renter turnover and and going through all of that about 2014 2015 hit and I just said man I, I'm over it I am done with real estate investing. I just want to get rid of these last two and just walk away from from that. It, it just didn't turn out like it does on the 30-minute TV shows when people are flipping houses. And so uh, anyway, but my wife and I had kind of gotten back into flipping houses around 2014 or so. And in 2015, when we had said, you know what, we're just done, was sitting down and having dinner with uh, with our, our my mom and dad, who are awesome. They're just awesome people and, and great mentors. I sat down with them and they said, you know, Johnny Lindahl, our, our family friend, is a real estate investor and you ought to go and have lunch with him. Just kind of talk to him about what you're going through, because at that point, it was bad, Brian. We were upside down on mortgages still, and and we had a renter that hadn't paid rent in like six months, and they had trashed the place, and it was it was a nightmare scenario. So anyway, went and had lunch with Johnny, and and he laid it out and just said, "Look, man, flipping houses is great. You're your own boss. You don't have to ask to take vacation. You can always go to you know soccer games and dance recitals, and." You know, you've got a lot of flexibility, but all you've done is just create a job for yourself. He said, you need to buy more houses and get more heavily involved in renting. And I thought, golly, man, I, I'm begging to get rid of the two that we've got. And so I went home and I talked to my wife about it. And she had, she and I said, you know, if, if he's got this blueprint and he literally had laid it out for us on what the best plan was and, and how to do it, he just really changed our, our mindset. And so with that, we said, okay, he gave us the, this strategy called the power of 10. And with that, it completely changed every aspect of us uh, in our real estate investing adventures. Yeah, I think that first part is what a lot of people experience or feel what it'd be like going to single family, which is they're sort of just winging it. They find some house that's in their price range. They buy it. They try to rent it. And then they don't really see the cash flow. They see a bunch of big problems because they're not really following a, a system of someone that's figure out how to do it. Obviously, it's a lot more hands-on than, than some other investments, but people have figured out how to do it and they make a living doing it and they have a lot of freedom from it. So that's cool that you found a, basically a, a mentor that that was able to give you a system. I always relate it back to, to business. You're always trying to find, a lot of business owners listen to this show, trying to find a competitive advantage or a way to do it differently. And that's something I've had to get my head around is that I immediately want to, this look at the way someone's doing something in business and find a different way. But in real estate, you really just need to find someone that's doing it well and do it their way. It's not a complicated business. You just need to find someone that's figured out the details and 
do that. <laughs> so it's a mindset shift for sure, especially for entrepreneurs. But you get some of the entrepreneurial benefits with the freedom of time and things like that without a big and company was, and without a lot of employees. So yeah. So you got to 10 yeah. units, the the flip, the switch had flipped and then you felt the relief and the the diversity. You basically had built diversity within your your portfolio of what you're doing. I think a lot of people that get into single families, they have a few units and they use their W-2 income as that buffer or their savings as that buffer. And it sounds like Johnny's device was basically have more yes, units. It, it was, buffer, gosh, it was such wise advice. And as much as he had to kind of take me kicking and screaming into that, you know, that mindset, it, it really, I'm so thankful that we listened. And I tell people all the time that, you know, look, I, I'm not special. You know, yeah, I was the mayor and, and you know, a lot of people want to add a, a certain level of, they think it's special or, you know, that it's something, you know, extraordinary and that kind of thing and you know, oh well you must be smart and you must be this listen when it comes to real estate investing you just have to follow the path that other people had laid out and and it's not that I'm overly intelligent I just did what I was told and he laid out on that piece of paper he said do it this way and we just did exactly what he said to do and the rest is kind of history and I tell people all the time you know the the two biggest to me, the two biggest key takeaways in all of this are one, if somebody else has got a blueprint laid out, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Follow the success that other people have blazed that trail before you. And two, take action. I cannot tell you, Brian, and I know you, you've had guests on your show that have talked about it before, and you probably get this yourself where people are like, oh man, I'd love to, you know, sit down with you and have lunch and just kind of pick your brain for a little bit, or, you know, can we go have coffee? I want to talk to you about it, which is fine. I love doing that. I feel like I'm paying it forward, but I can't tell you the number of people that I will sit down with that'll say, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And thank you for taking that time. And that's exactly what I needed to hear. And then they never take action. You know, like you, you give them the keys to the kingdom to use that phrase. And then they just, don't take action. And, and I, I don't understand it. Yeah, that's that's so true. It reminds me of a person recently I was speaking to that are approaching at retirement age and they don't really have anything to that you really can retire on. and But they have a skill, and I don't won't give up too many details, but basically they have a skill that when I look at it going, if you spend five years with that skill and you partner with an investor, you easily could make mm -hmm. $100,000 a year and just pocket it. Do it for five years. You'd have $500,000. That's way more than you're sitting at right now. And with their modest lifestyle, at 8% yeah. on $500,000 plus Social Security, you'd be fine. But they're unwilling. They're always looking for an excuse of why they won't take that action. Because yeah. they don't They don't want to use that yeah. skill. They don't like doing it. It's like, well, I can yeah. see that. I, but at this point in life, you may just need to use that skill. Um, it really is taking action. Even myself, it's the... It always feels better once you've done it, but you always procrastinate or find a reason oh, yeah. at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, you know, a lot, it's honestly, it's uh, my wife sometimes uses uses the analogy of people that, you know, they'll go out and they'll spend, you know, 50 or 75 or 100 bucks a month on a gym membership and they never go to the gym, but then they want to bitch that they hadn't lost any weight. It's like, well, you bought the gym membership, but did you take any action? 
Like, no. So, you know, why can you, you know, how, how, why, why fuss or complain that something hasn't changed if you're not willing to take that action? And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, for, we we bought a, a mobile home park um, that uh, uh, has 15 units, small mobile home park outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And um, I ran the numbers and I knew the deal was a good deal. And I crunched and crunched and crunched. And I'm like, yep, I've never bought a mobile home park before. I don't know anything about it. One of the guys that I love to listen to, motivational speaker, his name is Andy Andrews. And he talks about persistence in one of his books. And persistence without exception. And so I said, okay, well, this is this is a good deal. And so I'm going to go for the financing on this. And I went to all of our traditional lenders and every one of them were like, oh my gosh, that looks like a fantastic deal. Just it's not in our wheelhouse. And so we don't loan on, on mobile home parks or, you know, oh, it's a unique asset. And so we went through five different people and man, I knew in my heart that it was that it was a deal we needed to do. And I just refused to not continue to take action and exhaust all the leads. And so a friend of mine that does real estate investing, his name is Michael Gomez. Gomez, if you're listening to this, you're awesome. Thank you. But Michael is the lead broker at a real estate company in Nashville and does a lot of short-term rentals and that kind of thing. And so I, I happened to reach out to Michael and just said, man, I've got this deal on this mobile home park and I'm having problems, you know, trying to find the financing on it. And I said, when I get back from vacation, you know, I want to, I want to sit down with you. And he's like, Oh, where are you at? I'm on vacation. And come to find out we were like literally 30 minutes away from each other. And so the very next day we were like, we're going to meet for a drink and sit down and kind of talk about it. And so I did, I met him down um, at where we were at in Florida, down along the 30A. And uh, we sat down and had, had a drink and he's like, dude, I know a guy, this bank, I know a guy, it's literally in the same town. Let me send him a text tomorrow morning and connect you guys. And then ironically enough, again, as a believer, I'll say it was a total, total God thing. It wasn't luck or happenstance. I called that banker and he said, you know, it's funny that you call. I saw that mobile home park was for sale. We used to have the mortgage on that mobile home park about 10 years ago. It's a great asset. <clears throat> we would love to help you out. Literally one phone call. The next day I had a beer with somebody and he says, I got a guy. And then it ends up being the guy that used to hold the mortgage with his bank for that same mobile home park. And he's like, yeah, we'd love to do that. That's not happenstance. Like that's, you know, that is the power of persistence and continuing to just not give up. And so 30, 40, about 40 days later, we were closed on it and it's been rocking and rolling ever since. That's awesome. So for people that have a W-2 job or maybe, you know, they're, for all intents and purposes, successful, but they're working hard. How much time do you think that you put in on those 10 units, hours a week or a month? Like how much of your personal time once they're up and going? Ooh, that's a great question. So I would say for somebody that has a, a, we'll call it a nine to five, they're putting in 40, 50 hours a week at their, at their job job. Um, I would say the simple answer is you can put in as little or as much time into projects like that as you want. Um, and what I mean by that is for a new investor, somebody that, you know, is, is listening to this podcast and they're thinking about getting into real estate investing, I would encourage them to not immediately just jump out and get a, um, a property manager. 
Because you really want to spend the first 12 months kind of figuring some stuff out on your own so that you can learn some of the ins and outs. You can kind of get a handle and a, and a real understanding of the property that you've purchased because obviously you're not living in it. And so if, if somebody is living in, it's a single family home and you know, the sink's leaking, you're not maybe going to know that. And the property management company, they're going to fix it. Yes, but there's just a power of knowledge and understanding that comes from doing your own property management in the beginning. And so in doing that, a long way of answering that question, you can spend as little or as much time as you want. I've, I've seen people that have been incredibly successful because we're close to Fort Campbell Army Base. I've seen a lot of military that will go out and they'll they'll buy two or three houses. Obviously, in the military, their schedules are really erratic and they just, you know, never know when they're going to get deployed or not. So they will immediately right off the start, get a property management company. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That is completely okay. Uh, But for me, I would say if you can at least spend an additional five to 10 hours a week learning the property that you've bought and that type of thing, the more time you can spend on that, not only will you be better educated about your property first and foremost, but secondly, you'll get a real sense as a real estate investor as to whether or not you want to look at more properties that are like the one that you just bought, or would you rather try to transition and say, okay, well, I've got three single family houses and those are okay, but I really want to start looking at duplexes or triplexes and quads to, you know, they kind of diversify my portfolio. Or on the flip side, you may have two triplexes and you say, ah, eh, those are okay, but I'd really like to have some single family houses because I'm more comfortable with that. But those are things you really won't know unless you're spending at least a five to 10 hours extra a week. And listen, as we, you and I were talking just a minute ago, kind of about excuses, people can make excuses and say, oh, well, I don't have another five hour to give five hours to give between my job and soccer and dance recitals and, and making, you know, dinner and laundry and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm going to call BS on that because I used to say the same thing. And if you want it bad enough, you'll find time. Yeah, that's so true. It's funny. I, I want to cycle back to the uh, the property management side and being more involved. I was talking to an investor recently, and they said they had, they had a property manager on the a property, and they had some sewer problem. And the property manager says, "Oh, it's going to be five thousand dollars. Will you approve it?" And they knew enough. They're like, "Well, I'm actually going to go out there and kind of step in a little bit." And it ends up it was if you would have shopped it and found a solution to it and it'd be an $800 fix because the property manager just called the one plumber who was like the the 1-800 plumber number. So they just sort of farm it out if you know how that whole industry works. Um, so they, they basically overbid the deal and then they farm the, the job out to someone for $800 and they make the, you know, the five grand. Um, so they didn't put the effort in. So knowing that, if you knew that, like this person did, you know, they got that from experience, from getting burns before or ha- having met the plumbers. Just if you're the person that goes on site and you meet two or three of them, hey, this is my problem, what's the fix? Most likely you're gonna be a lot more educated than whatever the property management company tells you is going on. There's here's a problem, here's a price, there's a solution. So there is something to be said about, like you said, in at least in the beginning, getting out there, knowing what's going on so that when you do decide to, let's say, hand it off to a property manager, you can be a little more educated on, okay, what's the solution? How many bids did you get? Things like that. 
even and and then when you go out to buy more properties, if you if your first few had cast iron drains like the house I live in right now, you would quickly realize that I just, a plumber just came out a few days ago and put a camera up it. I'm looking at the camera going, oh, I knew that that was an issue when I bought the house, but cast iron drains when they're 40 years old, they look horrific inside. They're not smooth. They're all jagged and rough and they all the stuff that goes down drains gets caught in it. So now you're paying 550 bucks I just paid to have someone go through with a, a special tool that knocks off all that debris off the pipe, but it'll come back. Um, so that's something to, that's just a basic thing with plumbing, but with a rental, man, I mean, that can be every year you're paying to have that fixed. So there's your, your $800 cost every year, but, um, you're beyond 10. I imagine you're, you're probably still buying. How have interest rates in the current market affected your ability or how you look at buying properties today, as far as rental rates versus obviously the cost of buying properties has gone up with oh, no, interest another rates. Another great question. How has that so uh, interest rates are huge. So a, lo a lot of a lot of what we had done over the last, let's say five to seven years has been using the Burr strategy. And for people that are new that aren't familiar with the Burr strategy, it's it's you buy your property, you rehab it, you rent it, you refinance it, and then you repeat the process, you know, repeat those first four steps. And in doing that, when interest rates were in the, you know, threes and fours, uh, or even when they were in the low fives, um, your metrics, uh, you, you know, it, it was hard to not be able to buy something and make money using that burst strategy. The reason why that, uh, is so good and so important is because when you go to refinance it, you're pulling your cash back out. And so like for the example of the trailer park that we bought, um, with the mobile home park, uh, we ended up having to put, uh, I think about $120,000 down on that one, which, you know, again, I'm, I'm not special, uh, but I had really good connections and reached out to a private investor that said, yeah, I'll give you the 120 to put down on the property and you can pay it off in, you know, how many every years and blah, blah, blah. And I told them that we were going to burn the trailer park and they kind of chuckled and said, oh, I don't know that you can burn a trailer park. I've never heard of that. And so we literally, we went in, we cleaned up the property, we put everything on market rents, we increased the rents, gosh, year over year, just by doing some small things, $25,000, $30,000 annually. And because of that, it changed in the bank's appraisal. It changed the value of that trailer park in 12 months and added another $150,000 roughly worth of value on it. And so we went right back to the bank and said, hey, can we burr out of it and pull our initial investment back out? And they crunched the numbers and said, yep. And so inside of 12 months, we paid that $120,000 back to the investor. And now we are in this trailer park for zero dollars out of pocket. Zero. And people say all the time, you know, oh, well, I don't, you know, real estate investing, it's got to be a scam or there's got to be a catch or whatever. Listen, who buys a mobile home park and burrs out of it? This guy, that's who. So, you know, please, I, I, again, it's not that I'm special. I just had somebody show us the burr method and they said, this is how you do it. 
And so that's what we did and, and it, and it works, you know? Um, so I just, I tell people all the time, gosh, man, podcasts like the one that you're listening to now, Brian, you do again, an amazing job. Uh, the guys over at bigger pockets and the stuff that, you know, so many others are doing the free real estate meetups that people can go to, man, just soak up as much knowledge as you can. And then just, tag onto somebody's coattails and say, I'm going to do what that guy or that gal's doing. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, they're still out there. People are still buying properties. So they probably just changed the methods in which they're doing it. Okay, I had to jump in here real quick. I hope you're loving this interview as much as I am. To get all our content and stay up to date, make sure you follow us on social media under Brian underscore O'Neill underscore investor on Facebook and Instagram. And also remember to follow this podcast if you're listening to an audio. And if you're on YouTube watching the video, make sure you subscribe to this channel. Okay, back to the interview. How have your taxes changed since you've done real estate? I assume they've changed how your tax and how your income is coming in, but I don't think a lot of people realize, especially when you're, you're hands-on like you are, where you're owning the properties direct and not through like the syndication, the benefits that you get from depreciation. Plus, I imagine you have a lot of write-offs now that you run through it. Can you explain to some people that business owners that are li listening will understand some of these numbers, but I don't think they realize how significant they can be with real estate. When you become a, a, a property owner like this and, and you're having investment real estate, the amount of tax benefits that there are for you as as a investor are astronomical. The, the things that you can write off, you know, repairs and maintenance and all of these things that you can do deductions with and depreciations on your properties, um, they're huge. The tax code is truly written to be in favor of people that are real estate investors or business owners in general. And, you know, a lot of that is because the people that are writing the tax laws in Congress and in the Senate, they're all business owners themselves. They own real property, they own investments, that kind of thing. So obviously they're going to write stuff that makes it convenient for them to be able to get tax benefits for that. And so in, in recognizing that you can write off meals or write off trips and that type of thing is part of as part of this for example today we're recording this and i'm in south florida with my family and yes we're down here you know spending time on vacation but we're also looking at real estate at real estate down here properties that we could potentially make an airbnb out of or a vacation rental and so because of that if you are legitimate and again I'll use that word that word pretty firmly if you are legitimately down here looking at that kind of stuff with the intent of okay well I may not buy anything this year may not buy anything yes next year but at least I'm crunching my numbers I'm getting data I'm talking to a real estate agent and you get that opportunity to potentially even write off your entire vacation, you know, the meals, the calls, the trips, the gas, the flights, you know, the hotel stay or whatever. Of course, now I'm not a tax professional. I always tell people to, you know, consult your own tax attorney or your CPA. Yeah, some advice I've yes. been given by CPAs yes. is if you keep a journal, that's huge because if you can go back and go, here's the trip. Oh, I did a podcast with hardworking money from this time. We looked at this property. If they ever want to question it, like, hey, why is this hotel trip down to yes. Florida? It's like, well, here's my journal. I flipped to it. This is what I did. And one of the mm -hmm. metrics they're looking for mm -hmm. is, is it in the pursuit of income or business? So if you can prove that, that basically is one of the main main qualifiers. Yes. And is it normal and expected? I know they have a, a term for it, but is it a normal expected 
expense in pursuit of yes. income and, or business and, and, in, and, in the category which you're working. So you're usually safe. If, if you can justify it that way in your own head, you're usually absolutely. safe. Obviously, you consult with your CPAs and things like that. But if you can't and, and answer those two questions, me, you're you probably know, we've in the gray got a, area. We've got a CPA that is geared towards real estate investing. It's kind of his niche. And so he, he works with a lot of investors in and around our, our area. And, you know, for, for him, he, he'll tell me up front, if you're going to look for a property, you know, like you said, keep a journal, keep notes, keep receipts, you know, document if you talk to a real estate agent or if you went and looked at four properties or whatever it was, just keep an address and the time and date that you, that you went and did that to help, you know, him in the event that he ever, ever has to, or she ever has to go to bat for you, they can document it. Like you said, flip to that page in the journal or pull up that email and say, here's a copy of the receipts and everything else. But, you know, without getting too deep in the weeds on that, there's just so many benefits to being your own business owner. I'm, I've got a, a friend of ours that, uh, again, Michael Gomez, real estate agent and, and you know, just bought a G-Wagon. I'm sure he's going to be writing off the G-Wagon as part of his business expense because he's taking clients out and he's doing this and he's checking on properties and all that. Like, who who in the world ever thought that you could buy a vehicle like that and call it a business expense? But they do. And the tax code is written so that you can do those types of things. And so for someone that is maybe listening to this or watching this online and they're saying, okay, well, I'm going to do my first one and then I want to be able to go write my car off. As soon as you start looking, go ahead and reach out to a CPA and just tell them, you know, I'm thinking about getting into real estate investing Tell me some things that I need to know up front. They're happy to, obviously, they want your business and they're going to be happy to sit down and talk to you about that. So always get that advice from them up front, first and foremost. So let's talk about your end game. Leave a W-2, yes. retire. I know you, yes. so you're still we, doing insurance, we correct? officially or retired that uh, from okay. uh, my mayoral duties in December of 2020 and uh, opened up an insurance agency after that. I would I would strongly encourage kind of going back to people that have the nine to five that you look at something that provides uh, residual income. And I know that's a buzzword for a lot of people, but I'll give you a perfect example. Um, we've been in South Florida now. We've my grandmother, she's not doing great as of the recording of this podcast. And so we wanted to come down and visit her, but also the kids get a little bit of a vacation out of it as well, because it is Florida with the pool and the beach and everything else. But in being down here, got a call yesterday from a client, again, having an insurance agency on the side. I had a call from a client that needed to get an insurance policy done. And we were able to take care of that, sent everything over to my assistant, handled it all via email and, and electronic signature stuff. And it took about 30 minutes out of my day yesterday. And, you know, I'm on vacation and I'll get a paycheck for that, you know? I got two phone calls yesterday from people that are looking at two of our units that are that are empty. I've got appointments scheduled for next week when we get back in town and they're they're already saying, can we put down the deposits on that? Like it's an amazing feeling, Brian, as you know, when you could be on vacation and money is continuing to come in and you're really not having to work for it. I mean, it took me 
20 minutes to take those phone calls yesterday to set up those appointments for when we go back in town to put new renters in. And it, I mean, it just, gosh, man, it's a good feeling when you know that you've got that kind of flexibility. And and there's a lot of people that I know that have started investing in real estate and their end game is to quit their job job, their W-2 job. For us, I like to work. And so I don't know that I'll ever stop doing the insurance stuff. And I definitely don't know that I want to stop doing real estate investing. But, you know, right now we're at about 44 or 45 doors total. And we would love to be able to get to around 100 to 150, build that, hold that for about three to five years, sell off half of that portfolio to pay off the other half of the portfolio. And then go into retirement around 58 or 59 years old, old with owning, I don't know, 50 or so doors free and clear and just kind of ride off into the sunset. I love Grant Cardone, but I don't need 10,000 apartments and I don't need a Learjet and I don't need 17 houses across the planet. You know, I, I think I could be pretty comfortable with 50 properties that average bringing in, you know, 800 to $1,000 a month free and clear. That's uh, I, yeah, I think I could fifty thousand dollars a month. I, I'll put it this way: I would love to fail miserably at living on fifty thousand dollars a month. So, yeah, it's it's fifty thousand a month mm -hmm. plus depreciation on these properties. That if you hold them, you're just increasing your your net worth, and either you, mm -hmm. well, you should be fine on fifty thousand, I would think, but. Is your end game to sell them to hand down your um, kids in a trust? Like, what's the you know, my my mentor long, and I, long Johnny game. Lindahl, Not he sure. and I have had that conversation because he's kind of in that same mindset now. He's he's in his seventies and he's trying to think. You know, do I want to take the properties that we have and hand them down to the kids, or how we want to do that? You, you know, I think each individual person is different. For me, there's there's a real strong part of me that says I've had to scrap to get to where I'm at. And yes, I've had some amazing mentors along the way. And I've had family members that have, that have said, Hey, you know, I'll co-sign on this or I'll help spot you here. And then you have to repay it, you know, within so many months plus interest. Okay. But doing that builds a level of perseverance and it builds a level of education inside yourself and, and just tenacity that, you know, you just, you figure out how to do it and then you go do it on your own. And so to be real honest, if my kids ever listen to this episode, they might be shocked to find out that I don't know that I want to just hand it over to them. I might would rather say, I'll co-sign with you on your first triplex or I'll co-sign with you on your first 20 doors. And then after that, you're on your own, maybe make those connections with some of the bankers that we use and that kind of thing, you know, but I really, I think there's just something about the, about your, your children being able to figure some stuff out on their own instead of just handing them the keys to the kingdom and say, here's 50 doors, you know, see you later. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast and someone that has a very large, you know, set of assets. And this was something they were covering as well. And their trust is set up. And I actually want to change mine, or it's a really good idea. It's along your lines, where it's more like a fund that they can access for loans. So it will cover schooling, it'll pay out for schooling. If they get married, it covers, you know, let's say you did pass and you were, hopefully your kids are married before you pass. But Big life events, it it will output some money like a normal parent would that you know has assets. 
if they want to buy a business or start start something, they can get a loan from it, like you said. So it, it, it's kind of like a family bank, I guess you would say. It does give them the advantage of, you know, they have this pool of money that they can, with the trustees, basically say, okay, that's a good business. We will loan you the startup funds or something, but you have to pay it back. So it's sort of a, a middle ground that makes them makes them scrap some, but also has some benefits of, okay, we have this silent investor that will help, but I still have to make it work because I owe this money back. And then I think as they get older and older, it slowly waters down and, and you know, leaks out more money, but it, it, it never is a, here's a huge chunk of money and you don't have to, you need to make it in your forties until you probably have access to the, the actual sum of money. Before that, it's more just a, a place you can loan from, which I thought was a really good idea. Been very blessed that my parents uh, were in a financial situation where, you know, on the first five or 10 houses that we flipped and that type of thing, they were able to loan us either, you know, the money for the down payments or the money to do the actual reno and, and renovations, but it was never free. Um, it was often with interest and a percentage of the profit. And you know what? It needed to be because they had to pull it out of a vehicle where they were making money on it. And so, but it then got to a point to where after a while, they just said, you know what? We're okay. If you need, you know, this to do, you know, a deal and we know that you're going to repay it in 60 or 90 days, we trust you. And plus it's, it's helping set up a future for our grandkids, you know, Mike, mine and Misty's kids, their grandkids. And so it's awesome when they have that level of trust because they've seen the success that you've had. And, you know, for people that are listening to this, they're like, oh boy, well, my parents aren't rich. And uh, hey, I promise you, you'll be shocked. If you just start putting it out there that you're going to start doing real estate investing and that kind of thing, you'll be shocked at the number of people that will then start coming out to you and saying, hey, you know, I might would partner on a, on a deal with you or, you know, hey, I, you know, I'm doing 80 hours a week at my nine to five job, but I've got some cash sitting on the sidelines, you know, that I'm getting 1% interest at the bank. And so I would love to deploy that into something where I can get a higher rate of return. So if you want to buy something, let me know. Like, it's crazy the number of people now that have reached out to me and, and, said those types of things. So I promise you, you put it out there and you start having a little bit, little bit of success and a track record to go with it, those people will start coming to you. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of people that don't want to do the work, but have some of the money and they're more than happy to lend it, especially if you have somewhat of a, of a track record that they can kind of look at. They're more than happy to like, hey, here's, here's some money. You know, it's, yes. it's coming back to me in six months after you do Burr or something like that. They're more than happy. And if you don't have access to those, access to those people, I mean, there's the internet, the there's gator lenders. They're going to take a much higher percentage yeah. in the beginning, but they get yeah. you started. Some of them are very experienced. So that's a, there's, there's communities out there of which you do not need the money. You're not going to make as much in, in the beginning, but you do a few of those deals mm -hmm. and now you have enough that you can do your own next deal. I think most of our listeners are, professionals or business people so they probably do have access to that type of money but also just to realize how rental properties are underwritten by the banks they're less concerned about how much money you make they're more focused in on That's what right. are the rental rates how much will this property cash flow versus how much are you paying for it and that will dictate how much your your down might need to be but they're, mm -hmm. they're less concerned about your financial position assuming you have you know, a good credit score and you're, you're financially That's stable, right. they really are going to look more at the property. You don't need to worry. Well, they're going to yeah, be more when we burned on the, property on the mobile you, home park. The but, bank really, all they wanted was to know how much the rent, rent used to be. What is it at now? 
and they did a drive-by, saw that the yard was nice and mowed, and you know we we'd done a couple of small improvements on the cosmetics on the outside, but their their biggest driving factor was the rent metric, and that was it. And gosh, I mean, again, who would have ever thought that you could burr out of a trailer park? I mean, it's crazy, but we did it. That's awesome. And the smaller ones, that's cool too. I know the, mm-hmm. the big ones, there's a lot of funds that are kind of going mm-hmm. after them. But if you're willing to be hands-on like you are, I mean, that, that that's a great property, whether you own the trailer Do park, the yep. actual buildings on it, or if you're just leasing dirt and utilities, mm-hmm. I think bo- both those are, are good models. Yes. So let's just close with the mindset thing like I always do on these podcasts. You talked before about scarcity versus, ab- versus abundance. Can you explain your your philosophy or thought on that or how that kind Absolutely. of changed throughout your your journey in, yeah. in real so estate for, and how that's for affected us, your life? It's hard not to default. It's human nature when when you get your teeth kicked in like we did in the 0708 crash. It's hard not to default to that scarcity mindset because you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, you know, where's my next paycheck going to come in and how am I going to make house payments and, you know, car notes and, you know, all of these types of things." You really just have to sit down and have that gut check with yourself and say, "Okay, is this the life that I want to live? Is this how I want to leave a legacy for my kids? Is this, you know, the way that, you know, I want to spend my retirement? And if that answer is no, then your biggest limiting factor is going to start right here between your ears. And if you can change that through positive reinforcement, like podcasts like this one, listening to books on audio about, you know, how to just be a, a either a better business person, a better entrepreneur, having a better mindset, whatever it is, if you can change those limiting beliefs here through positive reinforcements, then it's going to slowly but surely start to happen. I used to love to listen to my 80s hair metal when I would work out in the mornings at the gym, and now I just listen to podcasts about just trying to be a better human in general. And so it's funny, though, because I noticed that our kids have a scarcity mindset a lot of times when it comes to to certain things. And I feel like now that I'm I'm changing my conversation when my kids ask, hey, can we go to dinner at such and such? No, it's too expensive. No, we don't have the money. Well, both of those are a lie. We do have the money. And it's not that it's too expensive. I might just, you know, not want to spend the money. And so now I've changed that conversation like I said, we're on vacation this week. Last week, my daughter wanted to go to her favorite pizza place and get dinner. And I told her, I said, baby girl, it's not that we don't have the money and it's not that we can't afford it, but we're going on vacation next week. And if I had my choice of getting pizza tonight or going to your favorite pizza place in South Florida, I would much rather do that. And she stopped and thought for a second. And she said, yeah, me too. Let's go. Let's eat dinner at home tonight so we can go to Luigi's down in Fort Lauderdale next week. Great. Okay. And so it's something that you have to change here and here, your heart and your mind first. And then you have to make sure that you're not passing that scarcity mindset onto your kids. Yeah, that's so true. I feel like it's it's, it's human nature to have that mentality and you almost have to force it. And it comes out, especially when you're up against adversity. And I know I felt myself, that's something I try to fight against i definitely have a focus on the mm-hmm. i want to say focus on the negative mm-hmm. but i'm a ve- very devil's advocate of why this won't work or what's the downside to this and it it comes down to something i heard tony robbins say that's repeated from, from lots of people is your mind will focus and find what you focus on so if, if you continually are looking for the reason yes. why it won't work your mind will find the reasons why it won't work if you believe that out there i can find this property i can not have to work 
you know, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'm making great money. Yeah. It was a story of my life. And I hated it because the abundance on time was not happening. And I was, when I, we made a change in our life, it was, there is a way out there yeah. to work less hours and make the same amount of money, if not more. And like, you have to just put that in your head and your brain will start, it's weird how it works, but it your does. brain will start looking for an answer to that solution. And you have to give it, one of my old employees, I never even thought that I was just talking. She repeats it back to me now. She doesn't work for me anymore. She actually owns the one of the businesses that I sold. Yes. And I used to say, you have to ask better questions. And that was what I used to tell myself was, give my brain a question mm -hmm. I need answered and make sure it's the right question. Like, how do I solve this? What's the positive way mm -hmm. out of this? What is the actual solution as opposed to what's the problem? And it's weird. It's really weird how the questions that you repeat yes. in your consciousness will affect the surroundings around you. I can think of people who think someone's always against them. Someone's always out to take advantage of them. And it's like, well, if that's what you think, your brain's going to find a yeah. lot of instances that it will interpret as that when might not be real. Someone told me recently, oh, I always yes. heard that you know you have to have money to make money. And that was, you can tell it's deep in their head. It's deep in their head. And I used to hear that too. And you know, my dad did well and he had money and he used to repeat that to me. And actually my first business, don't have to go off on a side, side tangent, I invested $70,000 in marketing and the showroom and things like that. And it was a total waste of money. And it was 100% based on money. my dad mm. always telling me you have to mm. spend money to make money. Yes. And it was totally wrong. Like totally wrong. I, I didn't need to spend that money at all, but I had this belief that I had to have spent a lot of money on marketing, a lot of money on this image and really create something to then get it back. When really, after I went through that, That's I just bootstrapped awesome. it and didn't spend that. a lot of money and did fine. But going off on a side tangent yeah. of just, you know, what what's in your head. So abundance mentality of believe there's enough out there. And the media definitely does not help with mm -hmm. that. It's a, if someone's winning, someone else is losing. That's not really true in business. You know, that you can create more wealth. There's this belief that like there's a set pile of money and if someone gets oh. some of it, it takes it from someone else. And it's actually yes. not true. You can you can create wealth. Awesome, man. Well, that was yeah. a, a great interview and I appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving people a introduction of, you know, if you want to go at it yourself and not go with these these big groups, you can absolutely do it yourself. Get up to 10 units. Don't be scared to do that. Get smart debt. Find, we, don't go, we didn't go into how to find exact properties, but there's plenty of information out there of how to find the right properties. And you can get a better balance on mm -hmm. your, your finances. And like you, mm -hmm. you still work and you still have income from your insurance business, but you probably sit, yes. you sleep a lot better at night knowing that you have this, this income coming in from these other properties that, that help that out. And you got basically your you're on your way to having your retirement sure. set without your eggs all in one basket. Something else I talk about, I'm gonna do another podcast on soon is business owners, we really put everything in our business and it's all in one basket. And we talk about diversification, but then I think that's why some of us that have businesses are so always on edge and stressed about keeping it going and having to put hours into mm -hmm. it. Cause man, we put everything in yes. one business. It's one, one big rental property yeah, no. and I it just it. stresses you out, so. Okay, I'll close there. How can people get in contact with you? You yes. got awesome social media. So Mayor on Instagram, Mayor, um, or just look me up as Perry Keenan on on Facebook. Always happy to give out the cell phone number because I feel like the least I can do is pay it forward because somebody took the time to do that with me, uh, and that number is six one five three three six. 
3401. Make sure that uh, if you're looking for insurance, regardless of who your, uh, your insurance professional is, always make sure that they're covering your assets. <laughs> you're the first guest that's given out a phone number so that's that's uh that's, occasionally that's i'll crazy. get somebody that will send out a text message and say hey i know you're an Sometimes? insurance agent you know in another yeah. state but i just want to make sure that you know i'm covering this stuff right i don't hey call me I, you never know when somebody may do that and say hey you were really kind you know two years ago when i needed advice and you know now i've got this deal and it's in you know your neck of the woods and if you're interested let's roll so yeah don't mind get i'm happy to do it awesome well, thanks, Perry. Thanks for coming on. And it was, it was great talking to you. Brian, you were fantastic. People need to go like this podcast. He does a phenomenal job. Five stars. God bless. Appreciate it.